Today's guest is Matt Dancho. Matt is a leading educator and content creator, empowering data scientists in their career. He's currently the co-founder of Quant Science, where he's building the future of quantitative finance education, as well as the founder of Business Science, where he works on applying enterprise-grade ML across business and finance. Matt started his career as an industrial engineer working across automotive, manufacturing, and oil and gas. Along the way, he discovered a passion for data science that led to using data to uncover major opportunities for his company. In our conversation, we dive into key inflection points in Matt's career, how he develops data science content, and the value of solving real business problems. Matt, you've had such an interesting career with lots of different things that you've excelled at. Could you take a step back and tell us about what that journey has been overall? I'm curious to hear what some of the inflection points were along the way that led to where you are now. So just to get started, right now, when people see me, you know, I've got a company, Business Science, that I started about five or six years ago. I've got Quant Science, which is my newest company that I co-founded with a business partner. But that's kind of where I'm at now. And it's been (laughs) quite a journey to get here. So just a little bit of background about myself. I started in data science, which is the field that actually... Back when I started in it, it was around 2012, 2013 timeframe. And I read this book called Moneyball, mm-hmm. of all things. Oh, uh, it's one of my I, favorites. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing. And, you know, like within probably the first two or three chapters, you know, once I started to get into like the stats and how they started applying it to baseball, the light bulb went off in my head. I was like, whoa, what if I could do this for business? Right. Yeah. And that's where this journey kind of kick started. So to fast forward, you know, I've been doing data science since 2013. Some of the inflection points, I think one of the biggest things as I started to go forward was understanding how to like really do stuff for my company, either for my company or for my side hobbies. I call these, you know, a lot of us learn the same way. We we kind of Mm -hmm. dive into a project or we dive into a problem and over time we try to solve it. So One of the biggest things that I found through my own journey, an inflection point, was when I created this software library called TidyQuant. So I was doing this project. It was actually a side hobby. So in 2008, I got into investing. This Mm -hmm. was way before data science, of course. I was listening to this guy, Jim Cramer, Mad Money. Yeah. Have you ever seen that show? Big personality. Yeah, big personality. And I followed a couple of his picks and he made me some money. But then I ended up, you know, 2008, right around the financial crash. I invested in one of his picks, Washington Mutual WAMU. And you know, I ended up losing about $30,000, which was like my life savings at that point. <laughs> so fast forward to 2015, 2016 timeframe, I started to get a little bit more dangerous with data science. And I was doing some investing analysis. And I had made most of my money back by then and, and some more. But what I wanted Did to do was... Did your opinion on Jim Cramer change at this point? Yeah, back in 2008, when I lost all that money, I was like, I got to quit following this back <laughs> I got to smarten yeah. up, right? I got to get yeah. a little bit smarter about what I'm doing, make some better decisions. And that's kind of been like, you'll see that that's the general theme through my career progression, honestly, is how can I make better decision? Usually there's pain involved, <laughs> which causes me to react and reflect. And then, you know, I figure out a better solution. So in 2016, I started to develop this software called TidyQuant which was, I started out as an R programmer. I still program with R to this day. And I made this R package to help me just smarten up with financial analysis. 
So that was kind of the key for me. And I learned so much through just building this project that it was like way more than any course I'd ever taken before. It was way more than, you know, cause I was taking some stuff, some courses through John Hopkins university and some stuff through, I think it was Coursera at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the courses were all right, but like, I wasn't learning. I wasn't actually like, it, it was just like in one ear out the other. So I started to, it wasn't until I started building the software package that, that really made a difference. Within a few months, that th- that software package took off hmm. and people started downloading. I open sourced it. People started downloading it. And to this day, it's racked up over, I think, a million downloads. Wow. And it's used by a bunch of financial you know, companies. All the big companies, if they're using R, they're probably using this software called TidyQuant. And it was good for me because it was, you know, hey, like now I'm able to analyze a lot more than I can do in Excel. I can do my yeah. financial analysis. So that, that was one of the big inflection points. I think another one was starting my company, my first company, Business Science. Mm-hmm. And that was a really important point in my career because that's where I really started to branch out beyond just the boundaries of the company I was working at. So I've been doing data science without an official data scientist role because my company didn't have a data scientist <laughs> back then. But I was you know, getting a lot of results for that company. And what I wanted to see was, and I started to get some inquiries when I released this tidy quant package and companies were actually reaching out to me saying, like, hey, can you build me an application that uses the software inside of it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. does something? And it was mainly like these small banks that just wanted to like impress their customers, right? They wanted to be able to pull up a web app like while they were trying to persuade a customer to you know, invest money with them. So I started to get some of these inquiries and, you know, first it was just a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks here and there. And at that point I was having so much fun. I would have like happily done it for free, but it was cool to be able to charge for it. But at that point, once you start creating a business consulting and starting to do some of that stuff, I wanted to limit my liability and I created business side. So that was a big point in my career where I started to like branch out and actually make money with data science beyond just working at a company and doing you know, some data stuff for them. Hmm. And then back to my company too, one of the pivotal points, and I think this is important to understand. So the company that I had worked at, which was a company by the name of Bonnie Forge, doesn't surprise me if you probably never heard of them, but they're actually kind of a medium to large size company in the oil and gas space. Mm-hmm. And what they used to do is they would manufacture small valves that go into oil refineries. And they also do like fittings and, and all of this stuff that was in oil and gas. Well, about that time frame in 2016, the price of oil dropped. Oh, I remember and, that. Yeah. yeah, it went from 2014, it was like $100 a barrel. Everyone was complaining about gas prices. And then within the span of two years, it dropped down to $25 a barrel. So the company I was working for in oil and gas, I mean, their bread and butter, basically their revenue was very correlated to the price of oil. Mm-hmm. And the revenue started to drop. But one of the cool things was, is that data science actually helped us to focus on the right customers at the right time. So back then, I got a huge win with that company by doing this thing called lead scoring. And it's now called lead scoring. But back then, it was just like, hey, how do we figure out which customers to focus on? And we were getting all of these inquiries through that sales group. So... The cool thing was, is that when I started to get my small group, this ragtag group, because we were in the middle of that oil recession, we had downsized from like eight people down to like four people or so. 
So I had very few people and it was either feast or famine. We'd get, you know, tons of requests or mm -hmm. we had no requests. So when we had tons of requests, we didn't have enough people to like handle all these requests. And we couldn't hire people because we just went through like our fourth round of layoffs, right? So if I went to my boss and said, yeah, hey, can we hire another person? He'd be like, go take a hike. <laughs> so at that point, I implemented, I got them entering some information into a, just an access database at that point, nothing too fancy. And then I started to pull that data into R and be able to you know, crunch some numbers on these and actually calculate hit rates and do some beginnings of some machine learning on it. Yeah. And we started to score the customers and before you know it, stuff started working. We took that small group, it was probably 2014, we did like $3 million in revenue. That's not profit, that's revenue. Yeah. And we ended up taking that to by 2015, 2016 timeframe to about $15 million in revenue. Wow. So my company was like in the worst period of my company's like in the past two decades of their performance, we ended up 5Xing their sales with that small group. And CEO saw this, other people in the organization saw this. And that's when the promotions start coming and all that stuff. But it was pretty cool. So those are kind of the inflection points that the big things that happened in my career that really like, I would say were huge wins with data science mm. that really kind of helped get me to the point where I'm here today, you know, well, running two companies now and having a lot of fun. <laughs> taking that experience at leaving Bonnie Forge to your own thing sounds like your version of Billy Bean initially rejecting the Red Sox. So I actually had applied to companies like Facebook or Meta. I got rejected by them. And that was like a big uh, ego hit because I was like, man, you know, I just made this like awesome software. It's being used everywhere. Like it's crazy. Every company is different, but you don't need to work at like a huge tech company to be like, you know, you don't have to work at the Boston Red Sox to have an impact at your company. In fact, a lot yeah. of times the smaller companies, the bar is lower and it's easy to stand out. That's going to help you with your career. Going back to when you first started a TidyQuant, after you open sourced that, it sounds like the growth was just explosive and that's a huge win within those five months. How did you get people to start downloading? What did the initial marketing look like to generate that traction? I got lucky. I released it on the last day of 2016. So December 31st, 2016, I published my first library out to the world. Yeah. It was kind of like crickets right then. And I was like, oh my God, it's out there. Like, what are people going to think? What, you know, all this like rush of emotions because I've been working on this thing for a couple of months. And it was pretty raw back then. I mean, it was just a basic, it's not what it is today. Certainly not all the functionality. But what was cool was back then, this company called RStudio. You've heard of RStudio yeah. before? I'm okay. familiar. So they're now called Posit. They rebranded here about a year or two ago. But they have this big conference, and it was the biggest one in the R space. And the guy, his name is Hadley Wickham. This was back in 2017. At that point in time, they had their conference in January. So the end of January, Hadley Wickham, who's like their chief data scientist, a uh, big name in the R space, he gets up there. And during his keynote, he mentioned my TidyQuant package. And just that little mention mm. there, because that thing was being streamed live by tons and tons of people and you know, that was enough to like kickstart the trajectory. Yeah. So I got lucky. I mean, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it wasn't like I like went out there with a big marketing campaign, purchased a lot of Facebook and Google ads. And, you know, no, it wasn't like that. It was all organic and it was just a lot of good fortune oh. and being in the right spot at the right time. You found the right art influencer to work with. I didn't even know he was going <laughs> to like, honestly, I didn't even know he knew. You know, it was crazy. 
Oh, that's awesome. Now, yeah. uh, looking at a lot of the content that you produce, Matt, it's very much geared towards empowering data science professionals to think differently about their career, how they progress, as well as different tools to use to make things better and faster. Looking at when a data scientist is starting their career, either at a medium or big-sized company, uh, what do you think are some of the mistakes that data scientists make early in their career? There's really like three mistakes. When I sat back and think about this, nobody's data science journey, and I'll be the first person to say this, my data science journey, it took me probably three or four years to feel comfortable. I don't know if you felt this way. I certainly did. I suffered from this thing called imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So when I first started learning data science, it was always like two steps forward, one step back, maybe sometimes two or three steps back. And that was the cycle that I kind of went through. And then I've had a lot of times in my career where my ego has taken a hit, where I, then I start to feel confident. And then, like I mentioned earlier, you know, apply to Facebook and then they reject me. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, am I ever going to become a data scientist? Oh, and by the way, the reason that they rejected me was because I didn't have a PhD. Ooh. And that really messed with my head because... <laughs> I had just finished up my MBA at that yeah. point. So this is like the third degree that I have now. So I got my bachelor's, I got an industrial engineering degree, a master's in industrial engineering, and then an MBA now. And I had spent so much time getting schooling. And now I think, oh my gosh, I got to get a PhD if I want to become my dream job, which is becoming a data scientist. It's only five and to seven years of your time. I was like me, I'd already spent tons and tons of time in school. So I was comfortable with that. But my wife, who also had a kid on the way, <laughs> you know, we, we had a child on the way, she was not comfortable with that. That was not an option. So the mistakes that I ran into, and then this is probably things that I would venture to guess a lot of people run into. The first one is not building. So when I look back at my own path, the things that held me back was just taking courses without ever really applying them. And that was a big mistake, I think, And it took me a while to figure that out. But once I did figure it out and started building something, that's where things started to change for me and started to turn. So for me, it was TidyQuant. I found, you know, I mixed my hobby, which was financial investing. And I really focused in on how can I just do something for me? Like, how can I make this easier? Because I was doing a lot of stuff like translating code from different kind of systems that are in R. One's called the XTS, but I would have to then go to the Tidyverse and use data frames and then go back and forth all the time. So TidyQuant kind of solved this problem for me so I could do financial analysis faster. So that mistake was is not building at the beginning, like finding a project or a problem that you're interested in, invested in. I think that was pretty important. Mistake number two, so I'd always go on like LinkedIn or I'd go on Twitter or something like that. And I see people using all of this cool stuff and doing all of these things and saying, hey, you, know, you need to learn this and, or I'm learning this and you know, it's amazing. And a lot of those would be things like deep learning. All right. So back then it was deep learning. Nowadays, I see it on LinkedIn. It's like LLMs, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. wants to dive into AI. And don't get me wrong. AI is super, super duper powerful. But especially when you're starting out, like it's kind of like drinking out of a fire hose, right? You're you're trying to like go a little bit too far, too fast. So back then it was me and deep learning. I remember at one point in my career, I literally spent six months with the lead scoring model that I developed. And I had just a basic like working model in, which was just a logistic regression, right? And I'm like, okay, deep learning, this thing's gotta be amazing, right? I see people like predicting cats and dogs images and doing all this like 
stuff online. I'm like, oh my gosh, if it can predict cats and dogs, like it's got to be good for lead scoring, right? So I spent like six months and I really never got to a point where it was even better than my basic logistic regression model, which was like super simple. And I, and I put that together in like less than a day. So I see that as like with a lot of newer data scientists today. My fear is that like you dive too far into like all this advanced stuff that you skip some of the basics and you just like, you need to focus on getting a working solution first, keep it simple, and then kind of add that complexity a little bit later on. What one other mistake too, and this goes back to applying what you're learning. So I see a lot of people, myself included, not applying things. And people love math and love the theory and everything. And don't get me wrong, that stuff's important. But at the end of the day, you get paid for getting companies results, actually applying the tools to your job and not just talking about it. And that's the differentiator. So once I kind of flipped the switch and said, like, how can I apply this? That helped me a lot. So that's what I would say for that one. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, in terms of thinking about the latest and greatest generative AI is on the top of many people's minds. And you're working on a course right now for how data science professionals can use ChatGPT, which definitely get to register for. But can you talk a little bit about just how you're using Gen AI in your own workflows and what your recommendations would be for someone who hasn't to start? So ChatGPT is a big component of what I do. So there's a couple different ways that I'm using it. And I'll also explain some of the mistakes too, because I think there's like some things that beginners, when they just start trying to use ChatGPT, you think that that's going to like get you from point A to Z real fast and end up getting into a bunch of trouble. At least that's what happened with me when I first started. I got really frustrated. I actually get stuck around E or F on the path to Z. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So like the thing, ChatGPT is so great. And then, you know, taking it one step further, when you actually start integrating AI into applications, like you can actually build with OpenAIs or anyone of a number of different LLMs now. But I think the starting point is just trying to improve your productivity with ChatGBT. And that's where I've seen the biggest benefit in my own daily work. So I started using it at first just as kind of like a replacement for Google or Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. And it's really helped out with that. It has a lot of times, you know, instead of searching for the right solution, now I'm just kind of having a conversation with ChatGBT. And I'm asking it like, hey, I just ran into this error. What's the easiest way to resolve it? This is what my code looks like, right? And a lot of times it'll help out there. Some of the mistakes that I've made though, when I first started using it, I tried to have it build just like a big web app, you know, right off the bat with machine learning and all the stuff in it. And then I spent like seven hours debugging it. <laughs> and that is not a good use of your time. It probably would have taken me seven hours or five hours just to build it. So I, I probably lost a net two hours, right? So that's kind of the mistake that was really frustrating when I first, because I saw a chat GPT, as soon as you type something in, it like generates yeah. all that code for you. And my eyes just got real big. I'm like, this is the future. And then you go to run that code and nothing works. So what I found was, is taking it step by step through the process. And that's really important. If you start with, if you think of like your data science process of like, you know, just doing some exploratory work for at first, you know, have ChatGPT help you with that rather than just go right for the web app right off the bat. Have it just like, how should I evaluate this data set for outliers? Sure. How, what graphs do you think are appropriate for numerical data to, you know, really get the idea of whether or not my customers are buying and which are our top customers, those types of things. I think you can walk it through the process, whether it's 
exploratory data analysis, cleaning the data, pre-processing the data, you know, machine learning, making the machine learning models all the way up to then, once you have the working kind of analysis, then moving into your web app. That's a much better strategy. And that's what I found was probably one of the biggest benefits. Nowadays, what I do is I do build web apps quite frequently. I do it a lot for my learning labs, but back in the day, I was also doing that a lot for customers. Yeah. So I can see it for people who are interested in either consulting or internally to companies building proof of concept web apps. You can do that much faster too. So I'm having a big benefit there. Again, you want to walk it through the process though. Don't just go for the web app right off the bat. Wait till you have a working model. And then at that point, that's when you can start having ChatGPT help you build that web application much faster. Hmm. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm using it now. Oh, and by the way, the ChatGPT workshop, I do have a workshop where I actually demonstrate how to do this. That's that link that I gave you. Yeah, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Yeah, so anybody who wants to check it out, see what this actually looks like in a project that I put together, I show you my full process and you get to see me build a web application with ChatGPT, which is pretty cool. Nice, and it takes less than seven hours? <laughs> it takes actually about 35 minutes, but that's because I'm explaining stuff. But in order to be able to probably for, like if you're just starting from scratch, if you already know the data set and already have like a working model, it'll go a lot faster. But you know, figure an hour or two if you're just doing this from scratch. You can build a basic web app and it's a big productivity enhancer. Yeah. From this latest workshop you're putting together, traveling back in time a little bit and looking at the very first course you made on data science fundamentals. Do you think a lot has changed since then? Are there any areas of it you would go back and revise? In terms of the courses that I've developed, so I started off developing courses. The reason that I started developing courses was to kind of close the gap between data science and the business. It was about 2018 timeframe. I actually, it was about six months before I quit my job. So I was working at Bonnie Forge. I'd done a bunch of great things there. And I also had this consulting business that was growing and starting to actually overtake the money I was making from consulting was overtaking my day job. So the problem that I started seeing, though, is when I was working with these companies, I'd now graduated from working with kind of these smaller companies, like just, you know, mom and pop shops and finance to actually some Fortune 500 companies. And I developed the courses really because of some of the stuff that I saw in there. And truth be told, the first Fortune 500 client that I had it was a big manufacturer of ingredients and they made products for any company like that makes like cereal or, yeah. you know, so they actually make the raw materials that go into that stuff. So I got this job and it actually did not go that well. So it's kind of like you learn from pain and they're the biggest educators. So I took on this job and my problem was it was a lot different than working with like these smaller finance companies who really knew what they want, but and it was just like a small project. This was the first time I was working with like a director and a VP and they really didn't know what they want. They just hmm. wanted to like kind of dive into AI, dive into data science. First off, it took forever to get the data set from them. It took probably, so we had kind of a deadline that they were working towards because they wanted to be able to show like a report for their management during the next you know big review, which yeah. was happening like in October. So it took like four weeks. So we started this about a month out from the review and 
we never got permission to get the data set <laughs> until like the Friday before they had to present on Wednesday. Oh, man. So they wanted the report back on Monday. And so we had to work all the way through the weekend. And I actually hired a guy to help me out because he was an expert in the HR data, which I wasn't very familiar. I was just, you know, going to run it through my normal process. But I wanted somebody's help who actually knew that type of data. So anyways, we worked all the way through the weekend. Gave them a report on Monday. I thought it was fantastic. You know, showed lots of machine learning, showed lots of data science. And at the end of that report or the presentation, they were speechless, right? Which actually is not a good thing. Because <laughs> I heard, you know, crickets <laughs> at the end and I'm like, uh, and then like <laughs> the next day I was pretty much fired. And I was really upset at that time because, yeah. you know, the fact is, is that like, I knew I was a good data scientist, but... I didn't know what they wanted and I didn't know there was a bunch of problems with that project and it was like, you know, pushed into crunch time. And then all of a sudden, you know, I give them something mm. and they didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know anything about AI. They didn't know anything about machine learning. And I didn't know anything about like what this presentation that they were giving. So I just like tried to find some cool insights in the data. So after this project happened, I really kind of stopped taking on some consulting gigs for a while. And I just took the next two to three weeks off and just, really wanted to focus on, you know, what went wrong, what I could have done better. And that's really what created this framework that I developed. It's now called the business science problem framework after my company, because, you know, this is the framework that we took another popular framework called CRISP DM, mm -hmm. which, you know, a lot of people have heard of that one. What this did was it really took you step by step and showed you exactly what you need to do through every step, like where to get stakeholders involved, what questions to ask them, how to make sure... Mm -hmm. You know, you got the right people, like once you identify a problem, how to cost it. We never even thought about like costing, like, is this data, is there a problem that we're trying to solve here? Like we didn't even have that. And that's like step one, right? Yeah. So all the way through the machine learning and then how to monitor and how to like what steps you need to take through each of these steps. So that course that you had mentioned, the first one I started out with was is actually data science for business part two. It's now called part yeah. two. And then I eventually made a part one, which is kind of like the foundation stuff that you need before you take that. But that second course is actually really important because it teaches you how to do that, how to walk through that framework. And that's really what, like, if mm. you go into a job interview for data science and you basically can show that you can follow this process, the same thing is true in consulting. Companies pay for processes. They don't want skills. They don't care, you know, they can do all this fancy stuff. What they want is somebody that can walk them and take them through a process and get them from, where they are now to where they want to be in the future. And that's what this framework did. And my consulting, I started implementing it on newer consulting projects and the satisfaction went up. It actually shrunk down the project times because we could do a lot of stuff faster now, now that they saw you know, where to get them involved, when I need the data, when we need to have the cost information by, when we need to you know, get the experts involved that are familiar with that process. So I wouldn't really change that. I think that that's... Sounds timeless and evergreen. Yeah, yeah. That type of framework, I mean, it's going to, no matter what happens with AI, you're still going to have to walk companies through this type of process. And I think that's really important. Talking to people and convincing them to do stuff spans every career. And it's tough because they don't know much about the data science and you don't oftentimes know much about their particular problem because they're the experts in that. So how yeah. do you meet in that middle ground and, and start to make progress? And that's what the framework does. It's really whether you realize it or not, as a data scientist, you are a consultant because yeah. you are working with 
diverse teams and trying, and you're never going to be the expert in those domains. You're going to have to rely on people to help you, you know, understand certain things. Oh, that's awesome. That's great advice. The last question I have for you, Matt, is so many of the things that you've done across your career have been finding problems that you have or others have and solving them. It sounds like the founding story for TidyQuant, but looking at the data science world, where it is right now, what types of things that you're doing, what are some data science tools that you wish existed? What are some startup ideas and inspiration you can share for all the listeners out there? With generative AI, it actually turns out to, I'm advising another company called Quantex AI. And what we're doing is working on time series problems and working mm -hmm. on developing tooling for, and we're actually focusing on supply chain. So things like inventory, how to chat basically with your database and get the forecast, get the things that analysts needs in order to be able to make better decisions. So with this startup, one of the things that I try to do as an advisor role, where I'm not the key, like the technical person that's building the thing, mm -hmm. is really to try and get them to understand, you know, what problems exist out there, to get outside of the walls of where they're at now and talk with customers or potential customers, talk with people who have these problems. And once you start to understand their pain points, you know, that's actually the opportunity. So for us, it was, you know, supply chain focusing on that one because there's a lot of like supply and demand disruptions. You think COVID, you think, you know, recession, you think, you know, a supplier from one day to the next that might not be as reliable as it used to be. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can impact this for that problem, but any type of business has problems. And the closer you can get to that, the more people you can talk to, you're going to start to uncover these things. And that's really where what I would suggest doing is, you know, uncover opportunity and really seek to solve those pain points, any pain points and opportunity. Awesome. Super, super tactical, actionable advice. Matt, thank you so much for sharing about your journey there. Looking forward to seeing what you're working on next. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Sheik. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me and hope you guys learned a lot. <laughs> Uh, a lot from my mistakes and also from some of the things that work for me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 